Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Happy Father's Day to every one of you guys. If we could get some, there we go. We get a little bit more light out there. Um, would those of you who are fathers, grandfathers of any, any kind of father, please raise your hand. All right. I just want to speak a blessing over you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for each and every father that is in this place today. We speak blessing over them. Lord, we pray that your purposes in them would be completed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have quite a few fathers today. Guess what the message is about today? Fatherhood. We're going to start talking about Abraham. The Bible calls him the father of many nations. How many of you remember the song, Father Abraham? Hand up. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And then it would be like right arm, left arm, Father Abraham had many sons. And we'd be going in. I'm not going to go through the whole song. But I was thinking about that. And in Genesis chapter 18, it says this, in verse 18, it says, Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. Right? So Abraham, there's something great going to happen. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. It says, since that, or because that, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. It's interesting that Abraham's greatness, according to this scripture, hinged on his role as a father. Basically, it said God had a lot he wanted to do through Abraham, but it was important that he be a father in order for that to be completed. It says that he would command his children after him. Abraham had to do something in order that God could use him through that. And what was it? He needed to be a good dad. The Bible says that God knew him, that he would command his house after him. That is, teach his children in the ways of the Lord. Just being a biological father isn't the same as being a godly father. We realize you can be a male but not a man. You can be married but not a husband. You can have children without being there as a father. And this is so sad. I was looking at the statistics and pr frankly, I was shocked. Currently, 40% of the children who are born in America are born in an unwed situation, most of whom the father isn't there. 40%. You know, depending on which groups and places you go, it was as high as 77% in some groups. And I was like, whoa, such an, a different world that we're growing up in. And statistically, 57% of millennials were born outside of wedlock. There is a crisis in America regarding fatherhood, an absolute crisis. And we say, well, what difference does it make if dad was there or not? According to the statistics, when there is an absent father, 
children are four times more likely to be in poverty. They are seven times more likely to be pregnant as a teen. They are more likely to have behavioral problems. They're more likely to face abuse and neglect. They're two times greater risk of infant mortality. They're more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to go to prison, two times more likely to suffer obesity, more likely to commit crimes, and two times more likely to drop out of high school. All of those statistics. Now, I do want to say, before I get into that, the Bible is big on our role as fathers. We have a lot. But there are people who are in situations who are like, hey, my husband or the father of my children took off. I didn't have any control over that situation. And I want to speak to that in a minute. So Psalm 68, verse 4, says this. Sing to God, sing in praises of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. We don't have to become a statistic. God says he can and will be a father to the fatherless. We, we spoke just a few weeks ago about how God's MO is to work through others. If, if you are a single parent, I encourage you, look for godly role models to purposely put in your children's lives because it is important. And also, as a mother, you too carry weight. 2 Timothy 1.5 says, When I recall to remembrance the genuine faith that is within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, I am persuaded it is in you also. This was an example of God's spirit going down through the mothers. There's not no hope. I, I definitely don't want to spend my time talking about fathers and leaving people in a, a sense of, of hopelessness. No. But I want to encourage those who are fathers. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4.15, it says, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. The Bible talks about spiritual fathers. And to those of us, all of us had a biological dad at some point, but not all of us have remained connected. For some, he may have passed away. For others, he may be on the other side of, of the country. But the Bible talks also about spiritual fathers, about men who in our lives take a role of responsibility for demonstrating godly character to us and holding us to that godly standard. This is what the scripture says. One of the, the, the greatest roles of a father is just that of an example. Just that of an example. Someone says, how do you, you know, what's, what's the magic secret to being a good? Be the best example that you possibly can. Knowing that your children see what you do more than how you do it. Some of my kids are here in the front row. They know I make mistakes. It's, the, the point isn't that you have to be a perfect person, but they should know that you strive to obey God's commandments, to live according to what God says 
is right and wrong. And as a father, you have a responsibility. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What is this talking about? It's talking about the responsibility that we have as fathers. That responsibility is not being taken seriously in today's culture. Obviously, we just saw some of those statistics. I... I remember having a, a, a young single mother ask me, she said, and she had, she had kids, and she had been abandoned by her, her first husband and their father, and so she had a couple of kids, and she had met a Christian young man, and they were beginning to, to develop a relationship, and she was hopeful that, you know, he would come in and be that role, and she says to me, but pastor... If I marry him, I lose all my money. And it just struck me. Like, she was literally trying to choose. And, and I just, I'm not saying I could just be perfect in, in, in understanding her situation, but I, I realized, wow, when our culture subsidizes keeping the father away, when she was literally paid to not have a father for her children, and she looked at me and she's like, I, I want to do right, but I'm, I'm nervous about giving up, you know, this money that comes as long as I'm single. The Bible says in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Do we believe it? As a father, it is our role to do our very best to put the kingdom of God first. We speak those things. We bless our family. Speak future-oriented things over your children. Speak blessing. Do you realize what a blessing is? A blessing is a positive declaration over someone's life. When, nowadays, when somebody, when somebody sneezes, like, Phew, bless you. But what are we really saying? Oh, something's up in your respiratory system. May it improve and be better. Like literally, you are speaking, you saw something concerning and so you spoke blessing over them. That's what it means. We, we live in a culture that is so backwards from that. I, I've had the privilege of, of, of getting to know different people that are, that are Jewish in their traditional like expression and traditional things and they go down. And one of the things that would blow you away about the, the way that the Jewish family works is every single week at the Shabbat dinner, which is the, the, the family meal at the start of the Sabbath, father blesses his children. Where did that tradition come from? That came from Scripture. I endeavor to bless my kids, but I have to, I have to admit, I don't have that systematically worked into our week. But there is power in speaking positively over our kids. Proverbs 22, verse 6, says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And I'm reading from the Amplified Version. It says, And in keeping with his individual gift or bent. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, not every kid is the same. 
Not every person is the same. We, we, we live in a culture that is big on equality and, and, and looking at everything and acting as though everything has to be equal outcome all the time. And we're trying to equalize, you know, entire populations. But how many of you realize, within a family, same parents, same family, same outcome, everybody doesn't do the same thing. Some kids decide to be teachers and make $40,000 a year. Another kid decides to be a doctor and makes $300,000 a year. Was, they're, they're different kids. They have different bents. They have different gifts. As a parent, we need to love our kids equally. But we can recognize that they are different and we can treat them according to those differences. Some of our kids may be very, uh, very tender-hearted, very eager to to please other kids, far more independent, less concerned about how we as a parent think about what they're doing. How many of you realize that when, as a parent, you're motivating each of those kids, you're going to have to motivate them differently. You can't be, well, because every time I tell Jimmy to do that, the, you know, he just, I can't do anything more differently. No, you, you can treat them according to their gifts and bents. They are different, not because they're faulty, but because God has put different strengths and abilities in them. He has given them different gifts. God acknowledged his son. You remember the story when the world, I mean, we have to think about it. We're so used to looking at the Bible from the end, and we know the whole story, and so we're constantly looking back. But you've got to think about what it was like at that moment. Nobody knew for sure who the Messiah was. I believe even Satan didn't know for sure exactly what was going on. And then Jesus visited John the Baptist, asked to be baptized, and God appeared. The Holy Spirit descended as a dove, and God said, the Bible says in Matthew three seventeen. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Immediately following that, Satan tries to tempt Jesus. That's part of why I think that Satan may not have even been sure exactly what was going on. But now he knew, he saw it. And so he immediately targeted Jesus. But what did God do? He had affirmed his son. He said, you are my son. This is my son. We should affirm our children and the meaning of that relationship. He called him my beloved son. He also affirmed his status as loved. It's interesting. Statistic, men, men were given a, a question. They were asked, would you rather be loved or respected? 90% of men gave the same answer. How many of you think they, they said loved? How many of you think they said respected? Yeah. So interesting. As a father, I want to remind you, those of you who are fathers to sons, you are fathers to little men. That affirmation and respect goes a long way. Dr. Dobson recommended seven positive statements for every corrective one. I'm just going to say, I know I fall short. We have a big family. 
We have a lot of kids. And I notice I catch myself like putting out fires, correcting things. And they always feel more urgent than affirmation. But man, that's an area I recognize I have to grow in. I need to be affirming. And of course, I do need to correct things. I've shared this story before. But my wife and I were coaching um, a little soccer team. And I don't remember which of our kids were on that team. Was was it Leland or Leland and Benji? But Leland's team, he was like seven, six or seven. And there was, we had, well, 20 little soccer players that were coaching. Maybe it was 15. And amongst them was a little fireball. This little fella, if I have ever encountered someone who was likely ADHD, this was the guy. Like, he just had energy galore. And, you know, in these little soccer games with those little kids, they're, they're not so good at handling positions and different things like that. That kid, he would just run for the ball. And once he got it, he was scoring half of our goals, if I remember right. I mean, he was so go get it. But we were trying to start to teach them some of this stuff, and he would, you know, we'd put him on defense, he'd see the ball, he'd just run across the whole field, you know, get the ball, kick it in the goal, and he just had so much passion, and he was, he was fun to watch, but we were still trying to, to, to give other kids a chance and, and, and to help, you know, teach him a little bit about the lesson, we're like, you know, over that, stay on that side, when the ball gets to this side, then you go get it, and, and he would, he would listen, and then he'd get out there, and you could almost watch him. And then, boom, and he would just ball, and off he would go, score another goal. And, and yeah, like we, we, all right, but I will never forget. And I don't, it was his father or grandfather who was there bringing him to practices and to the games. And, you know, he, he saw us you know, trying to encourage him and correct him and steer him towards one end or the other. And I remember he came up to him and he's like, listen, if he doesn't listen to you, you can just shout at him. Just scream. Don't, I don't care. That kid's going to end up in jail someday anyway. Oh. He was six. When, when we heard, I remember my wife and I, we were both just, oh, whoa. Why? Because his father was not blessing His father was cursing him by declaring these things over him. Granted, he probably has some challenges when it comes to to, to learning to take advice and to listen, but there are so many gifts in that young man. By no means is his future sealed to prison, but when his father spoke those things, His father was pushing that reality closer and closer to him. Instead, we need to say, God has a great plan for you. You realize children value our approval. One thing that we should learn in this dysfunctional culture where there is so much fatherness and so many divided homes and so many things is is when you look at kids whose fathers are absent, whose fathers are are less than par in one way or another, do you know what you still see almost universally? A desire for their father's approval. Because that is put in our nature. 
as a father, don't hold that ransom. Your love, how does, how does God love us? Does he say, I will only love you if? No. His love for us is unconditional. That doesn't mean he doesn't instruct us and, and show us, hey, this is the right way to live. This is the most pleasing way to live. But when we mess up, when we sin, God doesn't say, oh, I've stopped loving you. No. In fact, the Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In our worst state, in our most dysfunctional moment, God made the greatest sacrifice to improve our relationship. That's what it looks like to be a godly father. We love unconditionally. We speak truth. God has a plan for you. And if, and if like that father or grandfather of the soccer, you struggle to recognize what that is, you may say, man, but it's just so much easier to envision that, you know, his ADHD would just continue to lead on. I need you to recognize how big God is and realize God does have a plan and a purpose, even for those kids who are struggling to fulfill that purpose. As we speak blessing, we do not hinder that fulfillment. We are bolstering that. Our words have power. We need to be blessings and help build their self-esteem. That doesn't mean never tell them no. The Bible described Abraham as commanding his home, speaking that which needs to be done. But give your kids room to grow. My parents always said, the better the relationship, the less rules. Ephesians 6, 4, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. How do we provoke our children to wrath? One way is to punish in anger. We, whenever somebody is anti-punishment of any kind, I think they must have seen punishment done out of anger. You just broke the vase that grandma gave us and she's dead and there's no way to replace it. How dare you? You know, just getting mad. Now, if your kid broke grandma's vase, if your kid knew they weren't supposed to play soccer in the living room and they did it anyway and grandma's vase got broken and it can't be replaced, they disobeyed, they knew it was wrong, there should be consequences. But there's a difference between consequences for making bad choices and consequences for making you mad. And I, I'm, I'm speaking out of experience because I've been on both sides. I've done it right a few times and I've done it wrong a few times. Where I allow my response to come out of anger. Here, here is ideally how our parenting works. We establish the rules. This is it. You're not supposed to, to, to tell lies. You're not supposed to kick balls in the house. You're not supposed to do this or that. And you're supposed to, you know, take out the trash. You're supposed to do whatever the rule is that you made. If your kids learn that the only time that what you say matters is when you get mad, then instead of learning obedience and respect for rules and authority, what they learn is emotional manipulation. Sometimes 
we think, well, I'm just going to do whatever. And then, and then I, when, you're, when your patience run out, and then, then you start to enforce things. And then we say, well, why don't my kids listen? Why don't they think that obedience matters? Why don't they think rules matter? Well, because what they learned growing up was it's not what my parents say that matters. It's what mood they're in that matters. It's not what they, the rules are, what's right and wrong. It's where they are emotionally. And if they're frustrated, well, then I can't get away with anything. But if they're having a good day, I don't have to obey at all. Can you see how from a child's point of view, that's what much of many parents do. And I, I've been guilty of, of the same thing, thinking, oh, you know, I don't know. When I correct, not because I'm upset. So what do I do? If, if my, my grandma's vase just got broken, I don't react in the moment and punish in the moment. I wait until I'm calm. And then I come back and say, hey, this is, what this is the rule you broke. This is what happened because you broke that rule. And these are the consequences for breaking the rule. And when I can correct and not punish in anger. Because here's the thing. It is so frustrating. How many of you ever worked for someone who was inconsistent? Oh, they might chew you out for something that they didn't chew the other person out for. That they, they, you get in trouble. How many of you realize when you're working in, in a workplace, you just want consistency. It is, it is frustrating to be in a situation where there is not that consistency. That's one of the ways that we provoke our children to wrath. Another way is comparing. Comparing. You should be more like your brother, your sister, your cousin. I'm thinking of a moment when I accidentally made a comment to one of my kids that, that they thought I was comparing and how frustrated and hurt they immediately felt. We're dealing with each person according to their gifts and bents. Their personalities are different. Don't compare. Another way that we, bring, that we stir our kids to wrath is by saying one thing and doing the other. Hypocrisy is upsetting, especially from those in authority over you. We need to be as intentional as possible to practice what we preach. Another way that we can drive our, our children to, to, to wrath is, especially as they get older, not releasing, not releasing. It's interesting. Uh, I have twins who are 15 right now. How many of you have ever had a 15-year-old? How many of you remember what that means in the state of Michigan? That means that they're getting their permit, but not their license. Uh, that means that that I have to sit in the passenger seat while a brand new driver is in complete control. How many of you recognize it doesn't work if I'm just like, just let me take that. <laughs> and I just try to drive it all from the passenger seat. I'm not going to be raising a good driver if I just take control of the whole thing, try to put my foot across the, the middle deal and you know, I, I remember the mailman growing up in our rural area. They didn't have a mail truck. That's what the mail person did, is they sat in the passenger seat, 
reached across. And I remember watching the mail deliver the mail, driving like that. How many have ever seen someone do that? I'm not going to make them into good drivers if that's how I try to train them. Now, you sit in that seat, and I'm going to do it all. No. Now, do I have to, to teach and, and make comments? Oh, man, do I make comments? I say, hey, do you, re- do you recognize that you did that? Other people weren't expecting that, you know? Don't, don't come to a stop in this lane when there's a turn lane. Get in the turn lane and then slow down, you know? But I can't be just doing it all for them. Similarly, as our children grow up, if we expect them to do a good job the day that we're not in the passenger seat, then we need to give them leeway to grow according to their bents. Some kids are ready for responsibility sooner than others. There's not a formula that says, at exactly 15 years and six months, they are ex- every single child will be ready for this responsibility. No, not necessarily. But as a parent, be wary of that tendency to just say, I'm going to drive it all until the day you leave. Because that doesn't equip our kids. And what it speaks to them is a lack of confidence in who they are and who they will become. And our kids need our confidence. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, this is an interesting verse, because how many of you have ever seen pictures of Orthodox Jews standing at the wall with like a box tied to their head? And, and another box strapped around their arms. If you ever been to an a, a Orthodox Jewish home, you see there's a little piece of Scripture stuck to the door because they read this verse, and it said, you will teach them diligently. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. So they have a box of Scripture tied to their hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So they put a box with Scripture verses on their forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house. So they put a scripture verse and they stuck it to the doorpost of their house. I applaud them for their diligence, but I believe it misses a little bit the point. The point is that wherever I look, I'm applying scripture. Whatever I do, I'm applying scripture. When I enter and exit my home, what God's word says is on my mind. If if our kids learn anything from us, I hope it's where to look for answers. Do you realize that we live in a... There was a time, there was a time when if you wanted to know something, you asked an adult, hey, why is the sky different colors at night? You'd ask an adult. You know, whatever question you had, you asked an adult. I don't get those questions anymore. You know what I get? Hey, Dad, did you know that we're exactly 8,617 miles from the moon? <laughs> hey, Dad, did you know that this is the largest fish in the world? And, and, and Dad, did you know that, th- did you know, did you know, did you know? Like, this generation has access to information like no other generation. 
my kids don't need me for my trivia anymore. Some of you who are older maybe remember when, when parents, part of their job was having all those random answers. That's not our job anymore. Our job is to have wisdom. It's not what. Our kids don't ask us what. What's the distance from here to the moon? What's the, the largest mountain in the world? What's this? What's that? No. But they will ask us how. How do I apply this? What does this mean? And where do I go when I have a question Google can't answer? Right? Who do I marry? What school do I go to? Which friends should I spend time with? What, should, those, what career path should I take? I have, I have a choice at work. I've been placed, faced with the, an opportunity to compromise for personal gain. Where do they find those answers? Our job as parents is to have been an example of where to look, how to, how, where to go to get the right answers. And I pray that we have exemplified God's Word and His Scripture as the standard. That they would know, if in, when in doubt, go to the Word. Find out if this is right or if it's wrong. When, when we are faced with a choice about how to live and what to do, recognize we're that example. We are to teach our children diligently by exemplifying reliance on God's Word. As a, as a parent, the younger our kids are, the more we are a parent. Someday, the goal is that you will be your kid's close friend, but not when they're six. My wife and her mother are great friends. It is beautiful to see the relationship they have. She talks with her mom very regularly, pretty much daily, and they, they have this really big calling up to, hey, this is what happened at my Bible study, and hey, this is what happened at work, and, and they have a friendship, but that's that's the goal if you raise them right. When they're younger, they don't need... Your six-year-old doesn't need you to be a friend. Your six-year-old needs you to show them right and wrong. Give them direction. Give, show them moral boundaries. Don't put other things before God in your home. There are tons of wonderful things. Sports are great, but it's not greater than family. It's not greater than God. David worshipped and he went to bless his household. 2 Samuel 6.20 says, Then David returned to bless his household. We need God's blessing. Joshua, when he was 110 years old, said, And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Our ministry is first at home, then everywhere else. As fathers, that needs to be our priority. Exodus Chapter 4, verse 24 to 26 says, And it came to pass on the way to the camp that the Lord met him. And this is, this is talking about Abraham. And sought to kill him. Then Zipporah, his wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and, it cast, and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go and then said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Now that is one weird verse. But let me give you what it means. Remember God said... I'm making a covenant with you, Abraham, because I need you 
to command your household after you. Remember that? We read that. We opened up with that verse. It turns out, as Abraham was blessed, as he continued on in his life, he got distracted managing all of those things. And God had said, you're making a covenant with me. And the sign of that covenant for you and your children will be circumcision. What did this verse say? It said that Abraham had gotten so distracted with everything outside that he had stopped doing what he had committed to do within his own home. And his wife recognized that and corrected the situation. Abraham, the father of many nations. Father Abraham had many sons. That guy, he blew it. He got his priorities out of order. He stopped applying the word, his promises to God in his own home. But his wife helped him out. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Can't talk about fathers without encouraging the value that your wife plays. A godly woman is a blessing from the Lord. We are called... Uh, to exercise spiritual authority over our home. The Word of God. Man, I got a few more points, but I think we're going we're gonna to stop there. I want to say to every father who's here, your role, it continues. You are an example even after your children have moved out. You become a grandfather, you are an example all over again. It hasn't, it hasn't gone, your responsibilities haven't gone away. They've just changed the times and places that you are, are, are an example. But I want to encourage you to recognize the impact that you have. From a statistical point of view, just being there makes a huge difference. But we recognize that being there and following the principles in God's Word makes an even bigger difference. I'm just so grateful for, for growing up in a family where my father sought to be a godly man. My father didn't do it right every time. He made mistakes. He has personality flaws. But I can say that he tries to follow Scripture. I know he taught me where to go to find answers. I want to encourage every one of you. The Bible says that God is our spiritual father. If you're here today and you know God as your father, you recognize that you have relationship with him, your sins are forgiven. The Bible describes you as being adopted into his family. If that's you and you know that you're right with God, I want to ask you to raise your hand. If you don't know, the Bible tells us we can know we have salvation. You can know that you're right with God. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, but if you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross, and uh, excuse me, if you confess with your mouth that he died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. That means forgiven. That means in his family, a child of God. He becomes your spiritual father. And you are become in right relationship with him with no sin separating you. 
If you desire that, you can have it today. If you're watching us online, I want to invite you to consider this as well. If you desire to know that you're right with God, I want to ask you with every eye closed just for a moment, I want to ask anyone who'd like to say that prayer, raise your hand and we'll do it now. For anyone watching, let's pray together. Say, dear God, I believe that you love me, that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin and that he rose from the dead. I choose to make you the Lord of my life. I don't live for myself anymore. I declare it in Jesus' name. Amen.